You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. You can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade, or at least grab an extra latte. After getting a Chime checking account with features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, no minimum balance requirements, and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at Chime.com goals24. That's Chime.com goals24. Chime. Feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded. I've been fighting against this notion that you're not black enough unless you think a certain way, you vote a certain way, you speak a certain way, you do certain things. My whole life, I grew up military, pretty much neutral along the zone of can we all just get along no matter what we look like this is women to watch to rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams women to watch sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world it is for those frightened children who want peace it is for those voiceless children want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams? What I know to be true is that women were always meant to lead. And by shining a light on those doing it well today, my hope is that more women will be inspired to use their own voice. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. Good evening, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to another week of Women to Watch. My name is Sue Rocco, and it's always great to be back with another amazing woman doing some great work in the world. Joining me this evening is Harris Faulkner. Harris Faulkner is an Emmy Award-winning journalist anchor and host of Outnumbered on the Fox News Network, and she'll be joining me in just a moment. If you're interested in learning more about the show or how you can become a member of our watch team, feel free to email laura at womentowatch.net. That's laura at women2watch.net, N-E-T. And be sure, as always, to sign up for our newsletter and download the podcast so that you never miss a show. Uh, And now I'm very honored and thrilled again to welcome to the show this evening, Harris Faulkner. Harris, thanks so much for joining me. Oh, thank you, Sue, for having me. I'm super excited. Anytime we talk about strong women is right on time. I know. I know it. And and it's been a a very exciting time for sure. Um, I know that in, in the work that you do, you're on top of everything that's happening on a regular basis, day to day. And we're going to talk about all of it. But I, I wanted, I thought I'd start off the show tonight with a quote. 
um, that I think speaks to your, uh, really your background, where you came from and, and what has shaped you. And, and this comes from your book. To Shirley and Bob, you taught me everything there is to know about courage, grace, and love. And that, of course, is your mom and dad. And I wanted to know, first off, where do you think that your parents developed these traits themselves? Well, you know, legacy only comes from one direction. You, you grow it from the past. And for my parents, they both grew up poor in different parts of the state of Texas. And, you know, they were both high achievers within their own towns and communities. And back then, my dad is 83 now, my mother passed away, uh, well, November 21st, exactly four years ago now. So, you know, they both had responsibilities at a very young age. Uh, they were both in rural communities. And my mother grew up in Texarkana uh, and would take care of all of her brothers and sisters. There were a lot of them. And my grandmother and, and grandfather were doing all that they could to bring in money through the home. You know, they, they would do some rural work, which involved, you know, farming and other things. And then my grandfather was very skilled with his hands. And so he pretty much could do any task around the house. So he was hired to do those types of jobs that um, you grow character from, really, Sue when you can finish something and you've done it yourself and you've done it with your hands, it helps build your character. You never say the words, oh, I might not finish. It's really up to you. So if you want the That's job right. done, you have to do it yourself. So that idea of, of grace comes from completing a task and knowing that it makes a difference in somebody's life and wanting to do it because you can make their lives better. On my dad's side, he was raised by a very strong woman, his grandmother. My father was given up by his mother as a young child. She uh, was a teenager, became pregnant with him, was always in his life. But her mother raised him. And a pretty spectacular success, I would say because they had next to nothing. They were a chicken farm. And, you know, and my dad would, would do bales of hay. Like he, he worked and worked and worked with his hands. But at a very young age, he learned to read. Not at school, because he wasn't in school at four and five. My grandmother, my great-grandmother taught him how to read. And the one thing he wanted to read about were airplanes. And by the age of 10, the family would scoop together money to buy my dad kits for model airplanes. And he would build them for anybody who wanted one. And when I was growing up, we used to have them floating from the ceiling in the garage. Like when I was a child, he was still doing this. And these wow. were spectacular. Wow. I'm five foot nine. Some of the wingspans were my height. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So it's, it's parenting. And I hope yes. to carry that legacy on. I, I don't know, Sue, you know, I hope it doesn't skip a generation. <laughs> I'm trying my I, best. <laughs> I doubt it. You know, with, doesn't each generation get a little bit, you know, have a little bit more wisdom from the one before? I hope we so. Hope. I do have courage. Yeah. And yeah. I strive very hard to show my love 
to people around me, whether they're in my immediate family, inner circle. I try to do things with love in mind. And, you know, grace is one of those things that you get through time. It really comes through wisdom. And it's not about being graceful. You know, oh, she floated into the room on those six-inch Louboutins. That's not what I mean. <laughs> I mean gracious and grace-motivating. You know, to, to do mm. things with a certain integrity and willfulness and dignity that are about goodness, that's grace to me. And that's what I grew up with. So I'm hoping that with my generation of parenting to my children that I show them that courage, that grace and love that my parents definitely showed my sister and me. Yeah. Well, you already are. And, and for the listeners who may not know, you have two daughters. Um, and you, you certainly are, you know, living by example. That word grace is one of my favorite words um, of all time. And, and I always say one of the things I think it means is, is that lack of, of self-importance. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, you know, it's something that I, I talk to my own kids about. One of the things, uh, when you're growing up and you're um, living with someone who's in the military, there's a lot of moving around. And I'm always curious whether, as a kid, you know, how hard is that? And I wonder if you can talk about your earliest memory of a move that maybe, you know, had significance for you. So moving is part of being a military brat, born, raised, and transferred. I feel like I was born with a purpose, raised from whatever circumstances I was in, and transferred to the next victory in my life. And I tell that to everybody. You too are an honorary military brat, if you choose to be. I think it's a very powerful idea. And maybe people don't know that it can be an acronym, but having that legacy, being a legacy point of the child of someone who served causes you to not just respect and understand who you are, but whose you are. And my father used to always say that to me. He says it now to my children. But, you know, remember not just who you are, but whose you are. Meaning there's an expectation on your life. So when he was in the command college at Fort Leavenworth, I was in second grade. I had just learned how to ride my bike. And I was riding it on post and military post and I remember my mom standing outside and uh, she was always impeccably dressed so this would have been in the 70s and okay. you know so she had on her her hot pants and her afro wig <laughs> and you know her false eyelashes people look at me today and they're like oh my gosh those lashes I'm like girl I don't have anything on my mother <laughs> you know and and uh, she always had on a print like that was something in the early 70s. I was born in 65, so you know, for me in, at like age six or seven, it would have been like 1972. My dad hadn't been back from Vietnam for very long and um, we were stationed there. And I remember when they got the orders to go to the next assignment, the next deployment for my dad, he would be gone for a period of time from us, but we would go on to the next base. And I was brokenhearted because for the first time I had reached the age where I was cognizant of what missing was. And I had made mm -hmm. friends. You know, first, second grade, you're starting to kind of learn how to do those things of 
making promises and, and longevity plans with your friends. So it was hard to leave Leavenworth, Kansas. And I had high expectations for where we were going, which turned out to be Fort Monmouth, New Jersey. But I have very high expectations. Like, first of all, there better be great places for me to ride my new bike. And of course. Uh, yes. <laughs> I had gone to, you know, school on post and off by then. We were in Stuttgart, Germany when I was in kindergarten. So I had had the experience of being in a community and also being on post and being with all military children. And I loved both. And I got to experience both when we came to New Jersey and Fort Monmouth. But I didn't know what lay ahead, and I was really lamenting it. And my mother sat down with me. I was still an only child at that point. My sister hadn't been born. And she said, now remember your box. We don't pack it on the moving van. We always take it with us. And it's just a few items that the minute you take them out of your box, you feel like you're home. We never give that box to anybody else to travel for us. And my favorite color is purple. So I'd always pack my bedding because wherever we went, I wanted my bright purple. Oh, let's just call it. It was like grape. I mean, I mean, the 70s didn't do anything subtly, okay? It wasn't lavender. No, it, was, it was not lavender. It was and I had Jennifer Bear, who I'd had since I was born. I still have her, but she has no fur and her eyes are glued on. So she's, you know, sad looking. But I had these items in a box. There were several other things in there. And she said, wherever you go, whenever you have to go on a journey and you think you're going to miss more than you enjoy the next adventure, just remember that who you are is not in a box. It's not, it's not moving from or to. It's always just you. So if you need some comfortable items to bring with you that make you feel better about change, fine. The change is always going to come. And you have the option of staying connected to some degree with what you're leaving behind. But your hands have to be free to grab onto what's next. So you can't individually carry these things. They've got to fit in a small container that you can tuck under your arm wow. and move forward. And that's what I learned about resilience at a very early mm -hmm. age. That's from being a military brat and knowing that whatever adventure is before me, I'm, I'm ready. I don't have to get ready. I am ready. And when I took out Jenny Bear and a few things, it made me feel good. But I didn't stay in one spot all day long and just stare at them. I had a new adventure to go to. Yeah, that's a beautiful story. And what a smart mama. She to, was. Um, right? To, to do that and come up with that idea um, of the box. I love that. Listen, we're going to go into our first break. Stay with us as I speak to Harris Faulkner, Emmy Award-winning journalist, anchor, and host of Outnumbered on the Fox News Network. Stay tuned for our watch team. We'll be right back. Now, the women to watch, Health Watch. For Health Watch, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Dementia, a diagnosis that's devastating to patients and their loved ones and caregivers, comes in many forms from different causes. November is National Alzheimer's Disease and National Family Caregivers Month. This morning on Your Radio Doctor, I interviewed Dr. Barry Robner, professor of neurology, psychiatry, and ophthalmology from Jefferson. He discussed risk factors and signs of dementia. We also heard the courageous story of a man named Phil Guttis, former reporter for the New York Times, diagnosed with Alzheimer's at age 54, now a powerful advocate for the cause. Some changes in cognition or thought processing are expected with natural aging. 
But dementia is the extreme version of the process that people fear the most. The most common issue is forgetfulness, but a patient may also have trouble with one of the following. Tasks like balancing a checkbook, getting lost in familiar places, remembering appointments, finding the right words or names, or changes in behavior. The deficits have to be severe enough to interfere with daily function and independence. The most common form in older adults is Alzheimer's, 60 to 80 percent, from a buildup of a protein in the brain that makes it harder for brain cells to communicate with each other. The next most common cause, vascular dementia, from blockages in blood vessels from hypertension and diabetes. Most forms of dementia are permanent, but some can be reversed if treated. Depression, excess alcohol use, medication side effects, thyroid disease, vitamin deficiencies. We also have to protect athletes from head trauma in sports like boxing and football. Last week, the Food and Drug Administration had hearings about a new therapy for Alzheimer's. Hopes were high, but we need more work to find a drug that's effective and safe. The Alzheimer's Association, outstanding support, helpline 24-7, Call 800-272-3900 for patients, caregivers, donors, 800-272-3900 or the website alz.org. Listen to our show on yourradiodoctor.net. Our podcasts are on yourradiodoctor.net. Now the women to watch, Legal Watch. This is Nicole Hitner at Ballard's Fair Law Firm for Legal Watch. If you've been watching the deal trends, you know that there's been an enormous uptick in buying and selling of businesses big and small as we get into the last couple months of 2020. While investors were initially hesitant in the spring and summer due to the unknown impacts of COVID-19, the fire hose has been turned on full blast now and the deals are flowing. The uncertainty about tax rates and new regulations under a new administration are creating a sprint to the finish line before December 31. Experienced M&A lawyers, like my team at Ballard, have the nimbleness and expertise to close deals under tight timelines, even considering the nuances to deal terms caused by the pandemic. That's because we do this all day, every day. We have the expertise to help. It's an exciting time to be a corporate lawyer or someone who needs one. Ballard Spar's corporate team would love to give you guidance on how to get in on the action as 2020 draws to a close. Reach out to me, your Legal Watch advisor, Nicole Hitner at Ballard Spar. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, Talk Radio 1210, WPHT. General Milley, Joint Chiefs of Staff, he says he regrets having been there. He apologized having been there on the Lafayette Square with you for the picture, the, the infamous picture as you walked to the church and held I think it was a beautiful picture. Why do you think And I'll tell you, think I think Christians think it was a beautiful picture. But why do you think you're hearing from General Milley, from... Secretary of Defense Esper, and not why you think you are, but do you think it's significant? No. I'm speaking with Harris Faulkner this evening, and just before the break, Harris was sharing a a really beautiful story about what it was like to move from place to place as a young girl, and a wonderful idea her mother came up with to, to make the girls feel at home. And Harris, tell tell us a little bit about your mom and what was it like to, to be living as a military wife? That's hard as well, always trying to put on that positive um, face and outlook for the, for the children. You know, my mother was very real. She, she really didn't suffer the, the habits of people who gossiped or who fantasized too much about life. She was very rooted in reality. Uh, and she married the world's biggest dreamer, a black man from the South, when the signs were up where we could and couldn't go, he thought he'd 
work his way into aeronautical school, grad school at Georgia Tech somehow, learn how to fly, join the military, and then be a combat pilot. I, I mean, he didn't think small. And, right. and he did and that. And he did that. Right? He did that. And he did that. And yep. so my mother married the ultimate dreamer. And she used to tell me, you have to be parts of both of us now. Mm-hmm. You, you, rarefied air is terrific, but you've got to keep your feet on the ground sometimes too. That was the best advice. Because I'm a big dreamer too. Yet I have this pragmatism that I got from mom, from Shirley, that says, it is fabulous to fly. What are you going to do when you land? Mm, that's a great question. And what are you going to do if you crash? Right. So I really feel like she gave me the balance that I needed in life. And my father gave me the courage that I needed in life. And so when I partner those two things together, I do have moments of invincibility in my head. Like, oh, I know this is going to be okay. I totally, no matter what happens, I've got plan B. I mean, you know, I've been around a lot of leadership in the military. I probably knew more generals before I started interviewing them on television, on Fox News. From just growing up, my dad served on the Joint Chiefs of Staff as support for um, Colin Powell when he was assigned to the Pentagon. And I was already in junior high into high school then, so I was very well aware of the people I was being exposed to and how special that was to see leadership up close. And I wrote this book as my mother was passing away from fourth stage lung cancer four Novembers ago because she told me that it was time to let people in to the secret that we had. And the secret was love life. That's it. And believe that when things fall apart, You have the answer. That's rule number nine in my nine rules of engagement, a military brat's guide to life and success. And it's her journey leaving me and how I was going to be a success at home, at work, and all those things without my best friend with me. And I love my father and there are a tremendous amount of military lessons and and missions and things that I write about. Really, the nine rules of engagement are mainly about him. That last chapter is about Shirley, and she's on the back of the book. You see her next to my dad's fighter jet. We were stationed in Stuttgart, Germany, and I was about 17 months old, and he put me up on the wing of the plane, and you see this, like, really gorgeous 5'11 model-looking woman with these big, you know, big shades on, and she looked like something right out of a movie. And um, there I sat. And you see the, the tail number of the plane. And, and I, I put that on the back of the book because that was mom to us. If all else failed, you wanted her someplace to catch you. And she's always behind you. You've heard the term lead from behind. Well, when you raise your children, Sue, didn't you notice that you did a lot of that? You give them the two fingers so you could balance them from behind when they started to walk. Right. Exactly. And that's leading from behind to me. Like I didn't learn about the political words for it, you know, the meaning for it until later in life. But that's how I look at my mom. And there shouldn't be anything else as rule number nine or the back cover of the book. There shouldn't be because she rocked as a leader from behind. My father was out front with the medals and the and the uniforms and the camo and everything. And mom was she was the backbone. Um, And I can't imagine life 
without her fully. I have now a box of the things that were special to her that she gifted to me right before we put her in hospice. And my father said, I never knew she had these things. I was on her passport. She held me when we went to Europe. So I physically, I'm in the picture on her passport. She wouldn't put me down, so they had to take that picture. Can you imagine the federal government doing that today? <laughs> I mean, well, they just had to meet Shirley. Yeah. It was going to happen. It was going to happen. She was going to do it no matter what. Well, I, it's always so amazing to me when, when a parent leaves us, as much as we think we knew them, there's always some treasures and some discoveries and parts of them and bits and pieces that we didn't know. Yes. And it's a gift. It is. And it teaches us to be patient with each other, don't you think, Sue? Sure. Because yes. if you and I had known each other for 20 years, there's still discovery. And my husband and I have been married for 17 years, and I wouldn't settle for anything other than that notion of when we come together, we bring stories. And there's some, I mean, you know, familiar jokes if you've been married long enough. It's like you laugh because, you know, you love them. But it's like, I've heard the same joke like 50 times. You've heard that. <laughs> you know, but okay, honey. Oh, sure. I, okay. But, but there are moments where, you know, I, I went to cover the AIDS crisis for ABC News when I was up at uh, the ABC affiliate in Minneapolis. I was an evening anchor up there and had an opportunity to go and do some network level reporting. And, I, you know, I came home with all these stories. We had just gotten married, maybe six months. And we would sit and tell each other what had happened in the weeks that I'd been gone. And I told him, I hope we never lose the ability to be away from each other and to come back with amazing texture to our relationship. Mm -hmm. I don't need to be gone long because now I have kids. And if you spend an afternoon with one of them, whoever was with the other, you got your stories, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I, I do believe that having an openness in your mind makes all of your relationships important. And knowing that I don't truly know everything about someone. And when you lose someone, as you said so wisely, Sue, when you lose somebody that you love, you realize. You, I learned things at the funeral, for instance. I start to whisper, but I know your, your listeners can hear. But my girls are in the next room. And I don't know how shocked they were when one of my mom's buddies from Grand Prairie, Texas, got up and talked about the panty rates. Oh, and my dad covered my, well, my youngest daughter is 11 now. So she was seven. And he was like, oh, Danica, I don't know what's coming next. And I looked at him and I'm like, Wait, of course, this- you know, what's coming next. We don't was know what's coming next. Was this in a next. church? Yes. Yeah, did this- yes, it was oh, in a church. Of course. I mean, Sue. Yeah. <laughs> and my sister, and I, my sister was mortified. And she said, does that woman know that? I mean, I, and I said, of course she knows. She knows mom, and this is what she she wants us to know. And she said she leaned into the microphone at the lectern at the church, at the chapel, and she said, Shirley was a bit of a wild child. And I was like, <laughs> mom never cussed a day in her life. And my dad looked, and he goes, don't say that out loud. <laughs> I, I, listen, I love those true stories because... You know, we should always be bringing our full self, right? We should not, we should be as much as we can, yes. authentic and, and not performing, right? Yeah. Um, listen, when I, you know, I really dug in, did my homework on you and 
you know, it was so fun reading a lot about your life story. And I have another quote here. Um, You said at one time, at every step along the way, I evaluated what was going to get me to the next level and I went for it. So my question for you is, are you able to kind of um, make peace with yourself when things don't go as you plan? So you're talking about devise your mission. And uh, that is another rule. And the thing about devise your mission is that, you know, you, you've done the good work. That's rule number four. You've done the good work of some things that I say have to come before. I am ready for a contingency plan when things don't work out because I was raised by a combat pilot who knew that there was no such thing as a routine mission. And when he was in Vietnam and things would go wrong and he would come back, there was one time in particular his plane had been shot up. He managed to land back at home base. And when he got out, he fell to the tarmac. People were running to him to see if he'd been shot. And they had to force him to go to the infirmary because all he wanted to do was grab some contents, plans and things from the inside of his plane and go back and figure out what went wrong with that mission. And how do I get ready for the next one? Right. And I I view life like that. You know, first of all, things are going to go wrong. I make sure I have a good team around me. I recruit my special forces, rule number one. And I often tell people, you know, we've read it, Sue. We know that we, from science and, and from many writings, that we are the average of the five people we spend most of our time with. And if you didn't Mm -hmm. believe that and you needed to read all of the science, live long enough and you realize that you have to fire some folk when you really want to be successful in life. And some of them are relatives. And that's reality. You cannot have people with you who don't believe in your mission. So when things don't work out, I have the confidence to know that next time I'm going to nail it, I'm going to go grab everything out of my proverbial invisible Wonder Woman plane and go meet with my go meet with the other wonder women and men in my life and my inner circle it's a very small team because it's not about a following it's about membership i'm in their lives too and we're going to sit down we're going to figure out how to win next time and as long as you survived it you didn't really lose as long as you helped other people survive you didn't really lose you just have to keep striving and do better next time and th- and that i would say is a fabulous definition of resilience Right. Mm-hmm. The ability yes. to, to see that every life experience is, you know, a lesson for us. Um, and there's always that next opportunity. It, you know, because of your book, um, Harris, and, and because of your public persona, we, we know how much your life has been shaped um, by the military and your father, who really was a decorated officer. Um, serving in Vietnam, what a tough, tough thing to do. I was curious if outside of his example to you as a father and a leader, did he share personal stories with you that were difficult? Yes. And I didn't know them until four years ago because he didn't talk about them. And, you know, which is often the case. Yeah, My mother didn't want him to dwell on death and and the sort of ritual nature of putting the past behind you when you have fought when you've been at war you know she didn't want me overly exposed to that and he didn't either so there were some things that i knew about our lives you know i i knew where he'd been stationed we were stationed at fort bragg north carolina we moved a lot so i 
I experienced uh, death at a young age. I mean, some of the other kids' parents would, people die in training missions, they die in war, they die on assignments. My dad led battalions. Um, my mother was very careful about how we talked about loss and losing people that we love. At a very early age, she protected me and so did he. So I hadn't heard a lot of these war stories. And I actually, when he told me the first one for the book, I enlisted my husband because he was, for 20 years, an amazing journalist. Now he's in public relations, owns his own company. But he had to do the interview, Sue, because I couldn't hear them. They were really frightening right. to me. And when I started to, I, I listened to them, just like I'm talking to you now. I, you know, my husband would record them on the phone and I'd put in my earbuds and I'd listen. And he was very calm. But the details were tough. And I thought those are important things to tell people and I will get them down. We talk about it now, but it was really hard to hear some of that for the first time. I bet. And I, and I think it's hard as well to see and hear a parent being fragile and vulnerable. Yes, yes. Right? Absolutely. That's very hard yeah. emotionally. Uh, listen, we're going to go into our next break. Stay with us for our watch team, and we will be back with Harris Faulkner. Now the women to watch. Finance Watch. Hi, this is Terry, and I'm from Fortis Wealth. A Roth IRA isn't typically considered a savings vehicle for kids, but perhaps it should be. For those with earned income, defined by the IRS as taxable income and wages, which could be from an employer or from self-employment, such as babysitting or dog walking. In 2020, the Roth IRA contribution limit is $6,000, or the total of earned income for the year, whichever is less. Money grows tax-free in either a traditional or a Roth IRA, but withdrawals from a Roth after age 59 and a half will not be subject to any income tax and there are no required minimum distributions. These rules, of course, could change in the future. Yes, a Roth IRA is a retirement account, but it's more flexible than others as contributions can be withdrawn at any time. Under certain conditions, the account can be accessed for a first-time home purchase or for education expenses. That flexibility is balanced by stricter rules for the investment earnings, which may be taxed as income if withdrawn early and or be subject to a 10% early penalty tax. But a Roth IRA can also allow kids to pick and choose investments, which could, over the long term, lead to more growth. The trade-off is that the account could lose money, though history tells us that's unlikely with a diversified portfolio over a long period of time. It's hard for many of us, especially children, to think long term. But the more time the money is invested, the more potential there is for growth. Maybe mention to the child that a one-time contribution of $6,000 in a Roth IRA could grow to about $200,000 in 60 years, assuming a 6% investment return and monthly compounding. Roth IRA providers typically require a parent or other adult to open and manage a custodial Roth IRA on behalf of the minor. Not all online brokerage firms or banks offer custodial IRAs, but Fidelity and Schwab both do. Opening an IRA for your child provides them not only with a head start on saving for retirement, but also valuable financial lessons. Even a small IRA can provide an introduction to investing and a platform to teach your child about money and the relationship between earning, saving, and spending. This is Terry. Peace out. 
If you believe that family, charity, or money is deeply important for the greater good, Fortis Wealth invites you to a highly personalized financial discovery process to help you visualize your financial legacy. It's not for everyone, but if you're willing to invest the time and thought, they can offer advice and strategies to help you accomplish your dreams. Fortis Advisors is a wholly owned subsidiary of Fortis Wealth, an investment advisor registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Visit Fortis-Wealth.com today because tomorrow is waiting. Now, the Women to Watch, Nonprofit Watch. Good evening, Women to Watch listeners. I'm Dr. Nakia Owens, Managing Director of Financial Empowerment at United Way of Greater Philadelphia and Southern New Jersey. I'm excited to share two really great programs United Way offers students. It's college savings account as well as its individual development account programs, known as the CSA and IDA programs. Of course, you know, students who are considering college and those current college students must take into account the extraordinary cost of acquiring a post-secondary education. With student loans hitting all-time highs, pursuing a post-secondary education has become one of the many difficult decisions to make for many parents and young people. However, United Way can help. As you consider its college savings account and individual development account programs, those programs offer a, matched, a savings match opportunity for students. So the students can join or participate in the CSA program and save 500 and we will match 1500. Or they can save in the IDA program 1000 and we will match 3000. Both programs offer a three-to-one match for students, and the students have an opportunity to acquire more than one match. I would like to also note that students do not need to attend a two- or four-year institution, but must be pursuing a post-secondary education, like a trade or credentialing program. United Way's IDA program also offers two other savings match opportunities for home purchasing or expanding a small business. We are currently recruiting and have over 100 open slots through our IDA and CSA partners. And until next time, I'm Dr. Owens, your nonprofit watch. Now more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Hi, Sue Rocco here with an update from one of our past guests. I'm joined by Beverly Bernstein Joey, the founder of Complete Care Strategies, who was with us back in 2017. So Beverly, tell us what you're up to. Well, we have a lot of new and exciting things on the horizon for Complete Care Strategies. Throughout the years, we've been taking care of people by providing medical advocacy, and helping them plan their care needs as well as their medical needs. And at this point, we've enlarged our staff. We have some incredible nurses as well as social workers who are attending to our clients' needs. And particularly now, due to COVID, our services are even more needed throughout the community because we're keeping people home safely by managing their care, by taking them to the doctor. Everyone that enters the home has been COVID tested, and we're very, very aware of the needs that we're being presented to because of what's happening. And um, one of the most exciting things that just happened is it was 
uh, the ability of one of our nurses to literally save a client's life. She had been in and out of the hospital. She's 78 years old. She has issues, uh, incontinence issues. She uses a walker. She had a fall. She's having a lot of issues. But in addition to that, she's also been extremely depressed. So the rehab that she was staying in actually wanted to put her on hospice care. And her care manager, uh, Lindsay, was very, very concerned about that because she has issues that can be treated and she deserved an evaluation by a psychiatrist. And Lindsay intervened and got her the care she needs. And I'm happy to report at this time, she is home. She requires less and less care and she is very much with us. That's a great story. It was great to be part of. It, it was totally inspiring to literally save someone's life and make the decisions that the facility was making moot and find another way for her to remain with us. And uh, if we hadn't been there, I don't want to think about what could have happened. Beverly, can you give our listeners um, your contact information? I'm sure they'll want to reach out with so much need right now. Absolutely. So uh, our company is Complete Care Strategies, which is also our website. Uh, Our our business office is in King of Prussia, and we can be reached at 610-265-4300. And I'm happy to speak to anyone personally who asks for me. That's great. Beverly, thanks so much for checking in. I wish you continued success and hope you'll stay in touch. Absolutely. I would love that, Susan. I love what you're doing. It's phenomenal. Thank you. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded. Italy extends quarantine to cover some 16 million people. A member of President Trump's task force says it's possible some American cities could eventually be put on lockdown. Given the spread we see, you know, anything is possible. And that's the reason why we've got to be prepared to take whatever action is appropriate to contain and mitigate the outbreak. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those Voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. Welcome back to the second hour of Women to Watch. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm having a really wonderful conversation this evening with Harris Faulkner. Harris is an Emmy Award-winning journalist. She is an author, and she's the anchor for Outnumbered on the Fox News Network. Um, You know, Harris, when I was planning for this interview, I thought I I can't have you on the show and not ask you about your interview with President Donald Trump. 
And my question, without getting into politics, because that is not what this show is about, I, I really wanted to know if you could share with us how you felt yourself in that interview. You know, when you're going into an interview with someone of that um, notoriety, are you or were you nervous? Were you relaxed? Were you focused? Were you intimidated? You know, what was that experience like? Well, you know, it was the third time I technically had interviewed him. I was at the White House in late December of 2018 in the Roosevelt Room, and that was the first sit-down interview and exclusive uh, for a network at that time in that room with the president. It was pretty amazing, and I was nervous that time. And the timing was short. I felt that the moment was just on the edge of my ability. I thought it, I was really, really pushed to the very limits of my preparation, my knowledge, my ability to, you know, ask the next question thoughtfully, because I'm not the type of person who goes in with stuff on a, in a list on a card. You know, I, I may have some mm -hmm. like little mini facts or whatever, but I really don't go into interviews with pre-planned questions. I think it leads to gotcha moments. And I also think that it hampers your ability to really listen. And my mother taught me early on that there's a reason why the words listen and silent have the same letters. It's because we are required to really be in the moment. And if you're talking or preparing your next question in your head, you're not really listening. That's so it. I felt like that first time, and he wasn't the first president I had interviewed earlier in my 20s. I'm about four years older than Monica Lewinsky. So I wasn't that, you know, I was in my 20s, so was she, when the whole scandal was going on with Bill Clinton. And I interviewed him. I was at uh, the Fox station in Kansas City, Missouri. So this was many years ago. And he and his wife, the vice president and his wife, the Gores, were making a stop, a whistle stop through St. Joseph, Missouri. So he, he was my first uh, president that I ever interviewed, my first interview with a, a sitting president. So I knew what to expect. I, I've interviewed, you know, heads of state and whatnot between there and since then. But President mm -hmm. Trump is his own brand of communication specialist. And the one thing I can tell you in both that interview and the one that I most recently did in June at a mega church in Dallas, Texas, in the middle of a pandemic, so many things going on. He gave me 40 minutes of his time. He listened to every single question. And I felt as heard as he must have felt. And that is a true testament to being in the moment. He's very much that type of person. And all politics aside, I mean, I've met, I've met everybody who's who was running for the Democrats, except for a couple of them, and everybody on the Republican side, too. I've been around for so long that you meet these people when they're earlier in their careers. I mean, I knew Amy Klobuchar in Minneapolis um, when she was in law, wasn't in politics yet. And, and there are many people like that, you know, along the way. But now you know them as what they are. And the advantage that I think I have, having lived in those big moments, is understanding that we're all human. And if you can find a way to humanize that moment, you know, I made the president laugh about something and he made me laugh about something. I was surprised to find out that he knew that my husband was a golfer. I cautioned him to actually call him a golfer. He's more of a guy who plays a little golf. 
but you know, <laughs> so, so we had some moments, you know, and I always have, I, even when I interviewed former president Bill Clinton all those years ago, yes, I was nervous and I was young, but there was still a moment where we could have humanity between us. It was tough to interview him at that time because as a young woman, I had a lot of questions, as you might imagine, with all the right. things that were going on. Right. But most recently, to be with someone who's leading the country for 40 minutes and to be able to ask about peaceful protesting, rioting, and the difference, and the looting, and, and the past history for people of color in the nation, and the tough moment that May 25th brought us with the death of George Floyd. We had a lot to get to, and that interview went viral. It was before the Chris Wallace interview by weeks. It was before Jonathan Swan with Axios. It went viral because you had a black woman in that seat talking about issues of both those categories, and the president at the time was really striving to reach the black community of voters and also women, women voters. He needed them. So, you know, you don't have to be too steeped in politics to just be present. And I feel incredibly blessed. My entire career, I've been able to meet those moments with enough of me, even though I may have felt I wasn't enough. I was because I was given that moment. And I was prepared. And it may not be perfect, but that was the one I was given. And I was going to turn that particular mission into something successful. And now we go forward. And I mean, I've done police town halls. I've done Harris Faulkner Presents a Fight for America this summer, a special primetime special that we did on a Sunday night in the middle of a pandemic. And everything is kind of being thrown. I wanted to talk about what divided us and what unites us as Americans. They were tough conversations to have in person and on TV. We were virtual, so that made it even tougher. Um, so I, I'm, I'm excited about what's coming next. I don't know what it will be. I'm hopeful that with each interview, I learn something new and I become better at what I do. And I think I am a better listener now than I ever was before because there's a lot to take in. There is a lot to take in. L listening is, you know, it's, it's one of those skills that I think is more uh, difficult than ever just because of the amount of information that is continually <clears throat> coming at us. But I think if you have that genuine um, desire to learn and you're curious by nature, which I would imagine you are, that, you know, that makes for a better listener. I also think, um, don't you think that someone's ability to listen is a huge part of leadership. Yes. You ever notice how 100%. generals don't overtalk you? They don't cut you off. Never. Yeah. Because right. they know that right. when they speak, they don't have to worry about being cut off. So they show you the same respect, but they're not chatty. They're not often. Right. They're not, often, they're not chatty. I interviewed a few for the book. There's a chapter. Uh, one of the rules is think like a general, rule number seven. And it has to do with real raw leadership and, and how a general knows how to do every job up to his rank. And I'm fascinated by that. How can you lead or tell somebody what to do if you don't really know what they should be doing? Yes. You can't effectively. And, and, so you, right. and, and then when they have a complaint, how do you separate that from what they really need to know about mission readiness and, and victory? You have to be a good listener. 
And you have to know the difference between what you can and cannot solve. You know, I had, one of my questions for you, Harris, was that in all the interviews you've done with members of the military, what common theme has emerged? In, in other words, what, what would you say they, they all have in common as far as a, a belief system, whether it's a, a man or woman? They are, and I have, I have actually on the island of, is it, I think it's Puerto Rico, yes, there is a woman commander, a general on that uh, with the National Guard, and I've interviewed her, spectacular. So I'm glad you said women and men, I mean, we are part of the military, and the Admiral of the Navy told me as we stood on the USS Monterey, 4th of July, 2018, he said they had just come back from firing the Tomahawk missiles in Syria after they used chem weapons on their people, chemical weapons. And he said, we're at 20% women right now in the Navy under his leadership, or just, it was just under it, that was his goal. He said, did you know that when you change 20% of anything, you've changed everything? Oh, on that ship, that's good to hear. on that battleship, mm. the USS Monterey, 20% female on that ship. In fact, those Tomahawk missiles fired by a female squadron. So, you know, I, I look at it this way. Um, the common thread that I see, to answer your question directly, among generals, among admirals, among leaders, they are artists of never give up. They create reasons to know in your heart you should never give up. They create it, like almost fashioned from steel or air. They don't give up. There is a way to do it. There's a way to do it, and you will see your way through it. And to a man and a woman, they're not just believing that. They live it. And if you're with them enough, you will too. Oh, I love that. And I want to it, have it's... that effect on people. <clears throat> I want to pass that ability on. I don't give up. I don't. It's, it's an incredible um, trait, I would say, and I think it comes from um, not just being taught something or told something, but it's a knowing. Mm -hmm. it's, it's right. It's, it's this knowing it goes beyond belief um, that there's always that next opportunity. Yes. You know, I, I hate to say, you know, there's a lot of cliches around that. There's always tomorrow. Tomorrow's another day. But until you really know it in your bones that that, you know, um, there's there's something around the corner. Um, you don't really live that way. So, so I, I think that's such a yeah, it's a great example of, of military leaders. And listen, we're going to go into another break. And when we come back, I wanted to I, I took a quote from your book um, about from your dad, and he's talking about why he decided to join the military over joining the uh, civil rights movement that was taking place at that time. And I think it's really interesting. So give that some thought. Um, we're going to go into our break. <laughs> Stay with us for our watch team, and we'll be back with Harris Faulkner. Now the women to watch, military watch. Hi. I'm Carol Eggert, Senior Vice President of Military and Veteran Affairs at Comcast NBC Universal. Did you know that video games have become so popular that even the U.S. Army, the Navy, and the Air Force now use esports as a recruiting tool? It's true. 
With about 60% of millennials and Generation Z playing games online, eSports is a popular environment to showcase military service as a career option to the next generation of service members. In 2019, the Army became the first service branch to launch an eSport team as a way to reach potential recruits because of their shared interest and values of teamwork, strategy, competition, communication, and cognitive skills, all needed to play e-games. The Army received more than 6,500 applications for just 30 spots on the Army team. Now that's saying something. With the world of esports exploding in size, our company is exploring the positive impact that playing video games has on the military community. And we're not alone. StackUp is an organization that was founded in 2015 to bring both veterans and civilian supporters together through a shared love of video gaming. Through several different programs, StackUp helps U.S. and allied military service members get through deployments to combat zones and recover from traumatic physical and emotional injuries with the power of video games. Studies have shown benefits for veterans when it comes to playing video games. Most notably, an improvement in their mental health. Many veterans use video games to combat the stress associated with their military service, as well as using them as a way to connect with friends. There's certainly no denying the positive intersection of gaming and well-being for veterans. And it's incredible to have organizations like StackUp out there that recognize this important and possibly life-saving dynamic. So to learn more, visit stackup.org. That's S-T-A-C-K-U-P dot org. Have a great week. Now, the women to watch. Tech Watch. Hi, I'm Mary Manso from Pathways Consulting Group. I'm so thrilled to announce that Pathways was named the number two best small business firm to work for by Consulting Magazine. The award is validation to our employees that they work in a nurturing environment where their efforts really do matter. For our clients, it's confirmation that our team is top-notch. To be able to achieve recognition of this kind demonstrates our team's care and they like what they do, which is to provide exemplary service. We have two core values, be collaborative and be exceptional. This means we expect our team to work together and that every single team member helps drive our success regardless of their job title or seniority. Throughout this year, our culture has continued to get stronger even when everyone had to work from home. We're fortunate that our team has banded together to achieve our goals of not only growing pathways, but keeping it an energetic, fun place to work. People from every one of our teams has stepped up numerous times to tackle this year's challenges, and as a result, we were able to complete some long-standing goals. We've also hit some major milestones this year, and I can't wait to see what 2021 brings for us as an organization. As a technology service provider for the cloud platform called ServiceNow, our clients are evolving and adopting change at light speed. So it's critical to maintain a high level of positivity, quality, and care. Even during critical projects and last minute deliverables, our team maintains outstanding chemistry and composure. Pathways is a true testament that great culture produces positive results. Thanks to the Pathways team, for being the embodiment of our culture, and thanks to Consulting Magazine for the recognition and this award. If you have a story to share about your company culture, email me at mary at pathwayscg.com. 
Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen. They care. They execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Republican Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina has had quite a journey. He spearheaded a police reform bill in the wake of George Floyd's death, and Senate Democrats blocked his proposal. Now growing number of Democrats reportedly say they're ready to wait until next year to overhaul the criminal justice system. Wait. Uh, Senator Tim Scott joining me now. Thank you for being with me. Uh, I'm going to start right Right where Brian... Welcome back. I'm joined by Harris Faulkner this evening. She is the anchor of Outnumbered on the Fox News Network. She is an author of a wonderful book, Nine Rules of Engagement, a military... Brats, I hate to say that word, but I know it means a good thing yes, in the military. Yes, yes. yes, a military brat's guide to life. Um, and I took, you know, I, I there were so many great, great, great stories and lessons in the book. And I wanted to share this quote that your dad said um, and ask you a question about it. The military was the first chance, this is your dad speaking, the first chance I had at a real freedom from home a freedom from the pressures of having to be alert about something as simple as a drinking fountain. I don't think I can state any clearer than that. Tell me, where do you see our progress on the issue of race and and where it's heading? Leaps and bounds from where it was when I was born and from when my dad was leaving for Vietnam and when he was a young man thinking about the signage and and the punishment if you didn't follow you know what was set out to keep us divided racially in this country and we lived in the south i was born on a military base fort mcpherson in atlanta georgia dad was getting his aeronautical degree at georgia tech and you know black families who were rising at that time had to be cognizant just as much as families who were struggling in other parts of the South um, financially or whatever their struggles were, that they were seen the same. And that it was a time of tumult and it was a time of peril for some who look like me. And what my dad did was get ready for the future. He just He had the ability to take a look at things and decide, if it's dangerous for me out at night, why am I going out at night? If it's dangerous for me not to follow the rules, I need to be someplace where the rules don't determine who I'll be. And he decided to join the military because he knew he he would be needed. And would there be complete equality there? No, there wouldn't. But he believes in America. He believes in the design of what we are meant to be. And at the time, he would tell his brothers and anyone who would listen in Texas, look, I'm, I'm going to go off and fight a war on behalf of this great nation because when I come home, I'm hoping that the operative color, when people look at me, 
will be the colors of the flag. Now that was a tough war, Vietnam, but he never lost that notion in his mind that America would go forward and it would see the value in people who look like us. And he was right about that. I mean, I, I sat alone for, I think I still am, the only black female anchor with her own program and cable news during the day. Joy Reid has just recently joined in, in less than six months on another network at night. But I sat at that perch for a very long time. And change is, can be slow. But I don't think of it as, well, if we don't do this on a certain day, we're just not going forward. I'm a parent. When your children hit their milestones on time, that's great, but you don't stop loving them because they don't. Because one learned to crawl when she was three months and the other one didn't walk till she was two. You, you, don't, you don't love the one who didn't do it perfectly the first time around right on schedule any less. In fact, you might have more patience with them because you know it's coming, because you know, you know, you know. And that's how my father felt about America. And that's how I feel in this moment. Look, it's complicated. We, we know we have some things to get done in this nation. But 19% of our police officers are former military veterans. And I know they're good people. I love the ones in my town. At the same time, like every other part of society, they have challenges. And they need to find those challenges and deal with them. But do I think America is going backwards because we are a bit of a struggle right now? Oh, heavens no. No. No, we're going forward. But just like that baby yeah. who might have walked late, by the way, that baby was me. My mother took me to the doctor. I was almost two and a half. He said, put her down. She'll walk. She carried me everywhere because she thought I was going to fall because she hadn't seen me walk. And he said, I guarantee you she's walking when you're not in the room. And that's what was happening. <laughs> you just wanted her to carry you around. Well, she looked like she wanted to. That's what my mother told me later on. She said, I always look so willing. So I think you just took me up on it. Whenever I would come near you, you just, you know, collapse. So. But yeah, I That's mean, so you, yeah. she knew that she knew that she knew, especially after the doctor told her she's fine, she'll walk. But that's where we want to be. And look, we don't even get to go through the struggle in an uncomplicated manner. We have to be pressed down by a worldwide pandemic. We, <laughs> we have to face our own fears of what life is going to be like without all of the answers in many different lanes right now. So Will America rise? It will rise. It will walk. It's taking us a little bit longer because we have so much to do and we all have to get on the same page and we all have to lead with our hearts. Remember that love, remember that grace and be courageous. So one of the things that I think is that slows things down is the lack of opportunities to have meaningful dialogue. Hmm. So. Um, if we're, you know, there's such, obviously there's a divide and it's not really anymore about here's, here's what I think we should do. And someone else says, you know what, help me understand that because I think we should go in a different direction. Um, there's, there's a lot of just, you know, uh, I would say lack of grace hmm. in, in coming and trying to find solutions. So what do you think we can do? Um, 
to help encourage the meaningful dialogue. And, and I mean amongst people that really are, I'll say, le- less optimistic um, about where we are, where we've come, and, and where the future lies. This is where I think women come into roles, roles that we play. We are incredible at knitting difficult people together. That's what we do. I think we're very gifted at it. And are women and men different? Well, individuals are different. But I think women specifically, you know, our bodies are made in such that we know that we have at least one purpose. If we choose to have it, we can have a child. If that's us, we can do that or not. But I think people finding out as individuals what their purpose is and having this thought in their minds that when I do what I'm supposed to be doing, when I bring my gifts to the world, and you bring your mm-hmm. gifts to the world, that the world will make room for our gifts because we're not accidents. We're here for a reason. And if you live your life that way, it is amazing how all of the politics and other things can fall away, and you find each other. You do. And they do fall away. You know, they, you'll notice at, at times that really matter, no one's talking about politics. If you get hit by a car, God forbid, on your way home, any of us that are leaving, I'm working from the man cave. I don't really leave all that often. But if you, you know, <laughs> the East Coast is very populated, so it's, it's been a challenge since March. But um, if you leave and you, you know, get into an accident, we live in America, where Americans help each other. And that purpose that each of us has suddenly becomes more important than anything. We help each other. We, we, somebody will pull me out of that car, I'll pull you out, whatever it takes. And the last I checked, in the time between pulled you out of the car and the ambulance got there, no one is having a political debate. That's right. That's right. They're acting instinctively yes. by, with their hearts, hopefully, yeah. right? Naturally. Yeah. Yes, yes. You know, and, and um, I, you know, personally believe that, that one of the things that's the most important aspect of a life well-lived is self-awareness. And you just touched on it, you know, speaking about when you know who you are and you have the courage to bring that full, whole self to life every day, um, you can't help but succeed personally 100%. and professionally, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Would, so that self-awareness, um, I think, is hard for people to find the quiet times to, to do it, to sit with themselves and, and to kind of explore. Well, that's where our inner circle comes into play. Because you don't always have to be sitting alone. You could be with a group of good folk who have best intentions where you're concerned. And you can sit around and you can talk about what each other has to bring. And sometimes being in the company of someone who sees you in a positive light can get you to see yourself that way too. They see your potential, lighting the way for you to see your potential. And, you know, I try, I I lead two teams. I have two shows on Fox News. One noon Eastern outnumbered, which is a non-scripted talk show format, news and and politics, and then outnumbered overtime with Harris Faulkner follows. And it's hard news, breaking news, a lot's happening, news conferences. It's always been that way. Like it was designed that way. It used to be online. You'd wrap up with outnumbered and then you go to overtime online. We just put it on TV and we've been very blessed with success. The two teams that I lead 
have this in common. And they're, you know, first of all, my team at one o'clock is all women. It just worked out that way. So if you, if you want to see women to watch, the ones behind the scene on, are on that show. The irony is the noon show is women on a couch, four with one guy in the middle. <laughs> so right. I'm always Outnumbered. saying that there are about <laughs> 20 women any given day between noon and two that you probably are hearing or seeing if you're watching. You know, in one way right. or another, they're shaping the, what's, what's coming up. Um, but I say all of that because we need to be in the good company of others. We need to have people that we know are honest, have integrity. And by integrity, I mean you've actually witnessed them do something or heard of them doing something for someone who could give them nothing but their company or their gratitude. It, it's important to have charity around you because you tend to, and I don't mean you, Sue, but all of us, we tend to beat up on ourselves. And we tend to forget to be charitable with ourselves. And so we lose that grace and that charity with others very easily when things shake us because we didn't start with it for us. When you're around people who really mean well, they'll remind you, you are loved. Sue Rocco, you are loved. You are valued. You have purpose. And as a member of your temporary inner circle on this night, go get them. And I got you. I'm right behind you. I'm leading from behind wow. to help you get there. Wow. What a, what a beautiful, beautiful way to end the show. And, and I thank you so much for those words. It, it really means a lot. Um, and I'm so grateful that you would take the time um, during what I know is a very, very busy time, just in general, your schedule is busy. We didn't even get to talk about your day-to-day, what do you do all day? I was dying <laughs> well, to ask you in. that. It's all but, in front of yeah. them, and it's from my house. It, it's right You'll there. You'll see my Well, slippers. behind the scenes. <laughs> right, right. We'll have you back, and we'll, we'll talk a little it. bit more about that. But thanks so much, Harris, and I wish you such continued success. I see just Thank more you. and more incredible things for you down the road. Thank you, Sue. You are a shining light. I'm so glad I could stand next to that shine tonight. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now, the women to watch. Marketing Watch. Hi, everyone. I'm Lynn Falconio, Chief Marketing Officer of Publicis Health for Women to Watch Marketing Watch. Last week, I suggested that asking when will things go back to normal is perhaps the wrong question to ask. We're now long past the possibility of returning to anything that resembles the old normal, as the pandemic has forever changed the way we live, work, and play. Instead, we collectively must think about how we can reimagine a new, different future in a post-pandemic world. We've heard the phrase flatten the curve a lot over the past few months to describe the necessary measures to get the spread under control. Now, as some parts of the world have successfully flattened the curve, we are learning how to live under the curve lives of avoidance and management while we await treatments and a vaccine. Life under the curve means health is at the forefront of our minds and informs how we make decisions. Another way of looking at life under the curve is through the lens of psychology. The pioneering psychologist Abraham Maslow developed the famous hierarchy of needs pyramid to explain human motivation. And this tool is often used in marketing to understand what motivates a target audience to make decisions. For marketers, it's essential to understand that regardless of industry or target audience, health and safety, 
the foundation of Maslow's Pyramid, is now the key motivator behind almost all consumer decision-making. It impacts how we shop, where we go on vacation, and how we get there, and how to move forward with education, just among a few key decisions we make every day. We're navigating through uncharted territory, and no one has ever seen this movie before. In the coming weeks, I will unpack how life under the curve plays out across industries, from restaurants to travel and hospitality to the future of retail and e-commerce and beyond. Until next time, I'm Lynn Falconio for Marketing Watch. Hi, Sue Rocco here, host of Women to Watch. Are you a fan of the show? If so, be sure to sign up for our podcast at womentowatch.net so you never miss a show and can listen on your own time. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. Now, Women on the Fly. Hi, everyone. I'm with Harris Faulkner for our Women on the Fly segment. Harris, tell me how you start your day. I make up my bed. What is your mantra for stressful moments? Hmm. I do a lot of yoga. I like green tea and I watch Hallmark. Mm. I don't know if that's a mantra, but it works. (laughs) Oh, I like that. I love Hallmark as well. Are you a planner or do you take it as it comes? Oh, a planner. Oh my goodness. I mean, you know, I think I think I knew the answer to that question. (laughs) Hope is not a strategy. That's what I tell people. You got to have a mission plan. Where are you typically when inspiration strikes? At church. A place you've traveled you want to go back? Africa. To different countries Mm. that I haven't seen. How do you unwind? I love to play with my girl's American doll hair. (laughs) I know. So random. (laughs) Uh, Women on the fly, you asked me. There we go. I love it. I love it. We we learned how to do Dutch braids and all different things with their dolls. And um, yeah, it's fun. I have very short hair now. So I I practice on their dolls and I practice on the girls. They practice on each other. And we literally braid each other's hair. Isn't that corny? It is. But it's just. No, that's that's like meditation. It's It's very relaxing. Tell me your definition of feminism. Wow. Well, for me, it is not political. For me, feminism is about women reaching for their dreams and having equal parts to the path to get there. Love that. Three words that describe you. I'm tall. I wear clothes that are usually brightly colored. I don't know why, I'm attracted to them. So I'm tall, I'm brightly dressed, that's more than three words, and I'm honest. There you go. What's your favorite book? Or a favorite book, I should say. Hmm. I love Admiral McRaven's Make Your Bed. It's one of the reasons why I do it first in the morning. Um, Military people do that. We do the small tasks first. I'm a list checker, so I love that book. And I, you know, I read everything, basically. Last question, how do you end your day? In prayer. Because while I said hope is not a strategy, part of my plan is humility. And I get that through my faith. Beautiful. Thanks so much, Harris. Thank you. 
next is our Coach's Corner podcast, which is a shorter version of our weekly show and can be heard wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm BJ Gray with this week's Coach's Corner. Nothing will kill your career more than the inability to control your emotions at work. So the million dollar question is, what do you do with negative emotions at work? Many people feel that they are at the mercy of others, like their boss or their job or that meeting that went sideways. My nephew, who works in sales for a big corporation, was having his performance review the other day and didn't get the promotion he expected. He had no experience with this flood of negative emotions that came over him, so he reacted by telling his boss he quit. Of course, his boss didn't let him quit and told him to take a breather, and that's exactly right. You have to walk away if you don't feel you can calm your brain and avoid an impulsive reaction. Don't let your brain be in charge. What is life-changing for my clients is when they develop this mind control the ability to let go when any negative feelings take over. Part of developing these powerful mental muscles includes letting go of expectations and retraining our perceptions. Yes, getting a bad performance feedback is never fun, or hearing in a meeting with a group of your peers that you missed some critical information is embarrassing. But the feelings we experience in those moments are not as complicated as we make them. So how do you deal with something that makes you frustrated or angry? Well, you have to learn to have your own back. And there's five things we know about negative emotions that make them so much easier to deal with. And the first one is emotions come from the thoughts you're having about something outside of you. And the second one is emotions are not actions. You don't necessarily control having the emotion, but you can control your actions. And the third one is negative emotions are uncomfortable, but they are not going to kill you. And the fourth one, sometimes fixing the negative emotion to feel better or thinking positive is not the answer. The fifth one, own your emotions. Going through the pain will help you find the answer. Don't repress them. Remember, the only way to achieve emotional maturity is through self-responsibility. You have the right to have your emotions, but that emotion will teach you something. So trace it back to the reason that you were really triggered. Thanks for listening to this edition of Coach's Corner. Connect with me directly on LinkedIn or at bjgray.com. Until next time, I'm BJ from Coach's Corner. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Stay tuned next week for my interview with Claudia Post, the president and CEO of Most Consulting Group. Thanks so much to our watch team for their wonderful segments and to all of you for joining in this evening. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Krause at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHD or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Hopefully this is the last time you'll hear this ad. Because with Chime checking account features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and getting paid up to two days early with direct deposit, you can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade to spend more time listening to your favorite podcasts or at least grab yourself an extra morning latte this month. Join millions of Chime members who work on their financial progress with fee-free overdraft and no monthly fees. When you find new ways to save, you can reach your financial goals easier and still have the occasional treat. Take more control of your finances and say goodbye to monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com slash goals 24. That's chime.com slash goals 24. Chime. Feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. 
Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com slash disclosures for details. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.